ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name is Jeremy. And we're here today to discuss Uncanny X-Men number 277, the June 1991 issue on sale April 2nd of 1991. This has got a cover price of a dollar, 36 pages, excuse me, it's uh, called Free Charlie. You said it's 36 pages? I think... I think this uh, website that I'm getting this data off of includes the ads. I'm going to say, like, including the cover, this issue is 23. So that means that many more were ads. Yeah. Uh, actually, it does list that the, the actual pages are 23. The page count is 36. So do the math. I can't. It's too early. <laughs> Should be easy, but it's just, it's just not coming to me. The cover on this is Wolverine and Gambit fighting with claws swords and serrated spears it's a classic is it yeah i think so i think it's one of those ones that you're like oh yeah i remember that yeah it's okay you know it's it's i would probably get a t-shirt of this if i saw it just because it's (laughs) cool but only if it didn't have the background in my opinion well yeah i feel like the background of this issue is kind of a mess the background couldn't really be supported on a t-shirt somehow I, you'd have to i don't know i guess then the whole thing would be like a, a rectangle and that'd be weird i would just want the image of the two fighting but even the image of the two fighting if you kind of scrutinize it it kind of falls apart around the the waist and the legs of both participants yeah yeah the, the, there's a uh the 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 um yeah if you cover up the legs it's fine like everybody's perspectives are are, are okay but once you start looking at the legs, um, some problems appear. But yeah, whatever. It's fine. Whatever. It's and I don't fine. know what they're fighting on. Like Wolverine's. I don't. I don't know if this is like a like a space city that's just kind of like they're on top of, or or just garbage that they're fighting on top of. I, I don't know. Well, based on the issue, it's some secret room, right? Inside of some secret citadel. Sure. But covers don't necessarily have to match the, no, no. the actual events. But uh, I don't recall any hazy red sky in this issue. <laughs> so we just opened this thing up and uh, we've uh, we've simplified our credits. This is a Claremont Lee, Williams, Rosa, Orzakowski, Harris, DeFalco production. Why is Charlie spelled L-E-Y? Is that a reference to something? L-E-Y. Oh, I don't know. I think you're talking about... For the professor? Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like they go back and forth between EY and IE. Oh, do they? Throughout okay. the run of uh, of the X-Men. I could be wrong. Uh, EY, while not a traditional ending of Charlie, I think has been used more frequently in the pages of the Uncanny X-Men. I don't know why I'm saying that, because I have no evidence to back that up. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how I feel. I was just thinking it was a reference to something... Of the time, but yeah, I have no idea. I always thought it was IE. Well, just, generally speaking, it is. Or if, if Wolverine was saying it, it was Chuck. No, he always referred to him as Charlie, didn't he? He probably called him Chuck a couple of times. I have, I associate him saying Chuck hmm. for some reason. I don't know why. Again, I'm just like you. I don't have the evidence to back this up. It's just from my 20-year-old memory, which is very hazy, much like the... The redness of the cover. Right, exactly. So the Star Jammers, what are they doing, Adam? 
They are going to shoot the X-Men that are in space. Wrong. Oh, oh, you mean they're jamming across the universe? Yes, please. Thank you. Technically, technically, Jeremy, these aren't the star jammers, so they're not really jamming across the universe. Maybe it's like a a poor uh, imposter uh, jamming across the universe. Yeah. They're They're like like, a really uh, terrible cover band. (laughs) (laughs) They're they're racing across the galaxy. They're doing like a heavy metal version or a folk version. You take your pick. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, and what, they, what, what about like a uh, what was what was that uh, what was the, the Limp Biscuit sort of thing that happened in the nineties or in the in the two thousands? It was like uh, emo funk rap rock or something. Sure, go with it. I don't. I don't know. I never really listened to Limp Biscuit. So under outside of knowing that he existed or the band or, or whatever they are, uh, I never really listened to him. But what genre is that? There was something about some nookie, and that's all I remember. <laughs> a cookie. There, there were a bunch of terrible bands that came out in that uh, era, and they had some sort of name. And I can't remember what the name of the genre is, but that's what that's what the Star Jammers ripoff would be. Maybe they're doing like a, a Kid Rock cover. I think Kid Rock is maybe part of that. I think you're right. Right, It's like genre. But I mean, he's like hip hop bluegrass. Yeah, they're all over country. the country. Uh, bluegrass is probably too generous, <laughs> but yeah, uh, southern inspired hip hop. He is a uh, full instrumentalist. He does he does know how to play multiple instruments, which I don't. Kid Rock. Yeah. Well, good for him. Apparently. So yeah, they're the Star Jammers are uh, fake jamming across the universe, and uh, Gambit springs into action to interrupt the plan of the Star Jam. The fake Star Jammers are getting ready to blast. Storm and Banshee. Which very quickly answers the question we had last issue of what was that person in the background playing cards? It's Gambit. So, question answered. Sure. Yeah, which is what we probably hypothesized because who else would be playing with cards? But just the way that it was laid out is like, is somebody playing cards and watching these guys on a Vizzy screen? I, I just don't know. It was mysterious. It was. Yeah, very mysterious. So then we get a two-page spread of the Star Jammer sort of blasting out um, at the at Banshee, Storm, and Forge. And I guess uh, they they missed probably because they were interrupted. Well, obviously because they were interrupted by Gambit. Yeah, I guess so. Um... It's not entirely clear, but I'm that's what I'm going to go with. Because Storm even says, like, well, they missed the first time, but they won't miss a second time. Yeah. Uh, Banshee's yelling at Forge, like, hey, I thought you had a cloaking device on us. And Forge is like, well, I was running that, but then Lila Cheney, who was piloting, teleported away. I can't run both of these things at the same time. I'm only one man. Yeah. And so we get a little bit of space fighting here. A lot of things, a lot of words on this page for sure. Storm fires some they're close enough to a planet that storm is able to fire some wind at the thing at the spaceship the giant star jammer spaceship which i believe is called the star jammer and uh it it inadvertently wrecks forges space scooter great move storm ever stop to consider what wind strong enough to hammer a tub like that are gonna do to my sled think fast scout act faster and don't miss now all i have to do is find myself a door Errol Flynn, eat your heart out. Yeah, so he fires off a uh, grappling hook, I guess, at the door uh, and is able to now climb up towards the ship. A couple issues ago, maybe maybe 10, 
it was Psylocke saying, Bruce Willis, eat your heart out. Yeah. And uh, it just shows the kind of difference in character. Pe- different people can think about eating their hearts out, but, you know, for, for Forge, it's more of a, he's more of an Errol Flynn type guy. I think Nightcrawler makes a lot of Errol Flynn references as well. And I bet you he's also said Errol Flynn, eat your heart out. Could be. Again, no evidence to back that up, but that's what I'm going <laughs> to go with. <clears throat> Meanwhile, in the Star Jammer, the uh, Star Jammers, the fake Star Jammers, are getting beat up by Gambit, who is all over the place. Just legs everywhere. Yep, he's detached his legs, throwing them around. I mean, he's taking out three people here. He's got Corsair by the head, he's kicking Raza, and then he's backhanding Chode. It's amazing. Presumably with some sort of cards, because I see some like, little pink uh, outline of a thing. So he blasts Chode in the face. Absolutely. Uh, okay. Hepzibah here looking very much unlike Hepzibah in the Jim Lee rendition. Uh, yeah. He's definitely uh, Jim Lee ladyized her. Yep. Yep. Which, I don't know. I don't really care for it, but. It doesn't bother me. But It doesn't bother me. It's just like, I don't know. You don't have to. You don't have to fix everything. <laughs> You're right. So Hepzibah is like, you guys go deal with those X Men. I'm gonna take care of Jumping Flash Jack here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's she's she doesn't know what Jumping Jack Flash is. I guess she's uh, yeah. It's supposed to be silly that she's referencing an Earth thing for unknown reasons and getting it wrong. Isn't she like? Isn't aren't her and Corsair like an item? Yeah, so she's probably heard the yeah. song, and she's like, "Oh, what's this all about?" Oh, this and jumping he's flash! The Jack. Rolling Stones to her. And... I love this jumping flash Jack song. Yeah, it's it's hilarious. a gas, gas, gas. Or she would probably say, "Gas, gas, gas." It's a right because she's kind of like Yoda. <laughs> I don't think she's like Yoda. I think she just got something wrong. Adam, she's just like Yoda, always speaking in riddles. Although. Does the does the scroll that she t- turns into know about jumping Flash Jack? I don't know. This- so really, this isn't a Hepsiva thing at all. This is a uh, she turns into a scroll in front of Gambit. I mean, I knew it was a scroll. It's it's, it's a yeah. shapeshifter and turns green. We don't actually see that it's a scroll quite yet. Though. Well, we see her arms sort of inflating and then ultimately turning green. He's like, "What? All right." And then he's like, "Let's party. Let's party, Sherry." Shall we party? <laughs> Shall we party? Um, yeah, so so the scroll is the one who knows about Jumping Flash Jack. Aren't, which, don't they have some of the, the whoever they're impersonating's memories? Because they're all tangled up in like that little techno web. I'm just assuming that the scroll is a kind of closet Stones fan, but never really like isn't able to get into them as much as he'd like because... His brothers and sisters make fun of him all the time for listening to Earth music. Sure. So as they're buzzing so, by Earth, they're picking up broadcasts. He thinks he's actually he's cool by referencing Jumping Flash Jack, but has no idea he's getting it wrong. Could be. Although it could also be a woman now that I'm – I don't know. It's the, the, the build suggests a man, but I think that's just Jim Lee. Right. So Forge is on and he, on the ship now, and he's like, well, I got to do something. I don't know what to do. I don't have a manual. But wait a minute. I'm a mutant, and my ability is to invent literally anything. All I need is some time. And Chode shows up and is like, oh, your time's run out. So uh, Forge takes out his Uzi and blasts Chode in the face. 
Guess again, Godzilla face. Which does nothing. Yeah. That wasn't very nice, as I was saying. Before I was so rudely, rudely interrupted, just as I was about to bite your off your tiny little hon- monkey boy head. <laughs> no. Do you think when uh, Jim Lee's drawing this panel up at the top, he's like, oh, I just won't even fill in the details of this because Chris is just going to fill it up with dialogue. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I definitely noticed that. Okay, so like Forge is all the way slammed to the right of this very wide panel and the rest of it. I think Jim Lee just drew it. And was like, well, this is kind of a neat sort of like um, – you know, cinematic view of like what's happening. And Chris Claremont's like, look at all this space. I'm going to put so many words here. Probably. I mean, that's what he does, right? That being said, and I guess we don't know this uh, uh, truly because the word balloons are covering the the art there, uh, but it does look like a very sparse left-hand side of the panel. Yeah, I feel like he did this sort of on purpose. Maybe. It's like, yeah, I'm not even going to bother with this side of the panel. Maybe Chris barged into uh, Jim's drawing office and was like, wait, I need a lot of space on this page right here. Jim's we need like, to okay. remind the viewer or the reader of uh, Forge's powers. Everybody might have forgotten who Forge is and what he can do. All right, fine. So before uh, Skrull Chode can bite off Monkey Man's head, uh, an explosion occurs, which causes a distraction. And Forge hears a sonic scream. Bless you, Banshee. Because <laughs> he sneezed. No. <laughs> uh, bless you, Banshee. And uh, he say, Banshee comes in saving the day. And this just reminded me of... Did we ever figure out how Banshee got his powers back? I, I, I'm almost positive we did. But I just remember all the times that Banshee was like, eh, I don't have powers anymore. I feel like it was... Uh, revealed on the whole Mirror Island thing back in like issue 248 through 254 or whatever. He basically, he just, he got better. Okay. Yeah. In fact, I think that line is used in here somewhere to coin a phrase the X-Men are so happy with. I got better. That's true. Well, I think the professors, I don't remember. Somebody says it at some point in the issue. But yeah, I, I think he was hanging out with uh, Moira and Moira was helping him with some therapy. Again, I'm, I'm, st- making all this up because I don't think it's actually truly explained how Banshee got better. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I like, I couldn't remember, but you know, I don't remember yesterday. So he's got super lozenges. And so right before <laughs> he starts screaming, he just pops a lozenge and he's like, all right. Forge put together some super lozenges for him. Yeah. Cause he can Orange, then... I have this idea. I don't know if you can put this together for me. Just something to help my throat out. <laughs> well, I can invent literally anything, so here. <laughs> I made this out of sand and metal. Trust me, it works. So, Banshee's interrupted by Raza. What's going on over there? Oh, the dogs are barking. <laughs> they're out of my control is the mailman there uh i think oh, we're, wait, getting, Sunday. we're getting a delivery of mulch so the dogs aren't happy about that oh, okay. they're doing their role they're protecting the household from literally anything that walks by scary yeah yeah that uh, raza looks like wolverine a little bit it confused me at first really well yeah i mean because you know i don't think of raza 
ever <laughs> when I'm thinking of like, who's this guy? And his face kind of looks like a Wolverine sort of mask. But when you zoom in, it's obviously not. It's just the color scheme was similar on my copy and Marvel Unlimited. Maybe in the original, it's a little more clear. He's got like Colossus arms too. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, the rest of the body does not support my Wolverine theory. So clearly it's not Wolverine. No. So, yeah, he interrupts the the whole screaming, knocks Banshee uh, kind of off of his stride. But Banshee is able to punch back a little fight. Roz is upside down for a moment, but then he turns back up and throws sand into or dust into Banshee's uh, face, causing him to start sort of choking so he can't scream. Yes. He mentioned something about a host and uh, Banshee's kind of curious about that. Because uh, that'll come into play later. Although I don't know if we actually figure out who the host is in this issue. Aren't the hosts just the scrolls? I, I everybody refers to the host as though it's something bigger, but maybe it is just meaning the original scroll. Like, what specifically does he say? A most noble feat, notable feat, human to overcome even one of the host. Oh, okay. So I guess these guys are just the host. Yeah. These these this group of scrolls. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah, so Storm flies in because Roz is about to go for the kill shot on Banshee, and she uses her wind powers to uh, fling Corsair um, against Raza. She says, I have the strength to save him. And she gets shot by Corsair, and it looks pretty looks pretty bad. Like in the face. Uh, She's got she's got some cool shoulder cannons. I had to I had to flip back a few issue, a few pages just to figure to make sure she's had those previously. What, does she ever use them though? Well, I don't think they're cannons. I mean, even though they're sort of drawn to look like she's got four rockets on either side of her shoulders, I think what they are are her little space jetpacks. So it's like a space jetpack. Yeah, and those maybe maybe those uh those uh four things on each shoulder those are like headlights so that she can see when she's <laughs> in space. Okay. Uh, okay. But yeah, I don't think the intention was for them to be rockets. Even though, I mean, got to be honest, shoulder-mounted rockets on Storm, it's kind of cool. Uh, I could dig that. I don't think she ever uses them. So yeah, I, I, that supports your hypothesis. Yeah. Uh, and Corsair actually says, you're flashed, Wind Rider. And, and the gun that he fires at her doesn't actually appear to be firing, at least in the initial frame, like a like a laser or a bolt of any kind, it literally looks like a, a flashlight. But in the next, in the final panel, it, it looks like she gets hit pretty hard by something. So I don't know what the flash is, but Storm's dead. It's just a cool way of saying I shot you in scroll language. You're flashed! Right, but it, it actually does no damage. She's like knocked out on the ground, and, and he's like, ah, I took you out, all these X-Men... They're not so great. And then as he gets closer, Storm springs into action and kicks him in the face. Somebody says the Prime will not be pleased because they were supposed to keep Storm alive so Ooh. that they could transfer her into one of these scroll bodies. Right. They want to keep the ladies alive and they don't care what happens to the men. But yeah, she is alive. Uh, what did she say here? The battle fiend is far from over, intriguing your choice of words. Since Corsair was born human on Earth and proud of it, your form is his, your substance, anything but. Your form is his, your substance, anything but. Yeah, and Skrull Corsair says, superb, your uniform is body armor, able to evidently uh, 
able, evidently, to blunt the destructive force of my blasters. No matter, I'll enjoy rending you limb from limb. But he shoots her in the face, <laughs> which yeah, is not know. armored, but whatever. Is, is it the, uh, you know, it's... It's a panel where you can't really tell where she's being. It looks like she's being shot in the face, but sure, she could be getting shot in the chest, and her head's just recoiling backwards. Yeah, but... I think I think that's that's what we'll have to believe, right? Because otherwise, she has armor on her face. <laughs> sure, sure. I don't understand why scrolls need to uh, have the bodies of someone Is that... in order to like that's that's not a it's not a normal scroll thing. Oh yeah, yeah. So I guess I guess the I guess the idea here is that they are absorbing their thoughts and they're going to be much better copies of them than normal. Well, I mean, skipping ahead sort of to the end a little bit, I I don't know that these guys are conclusively shown to be traditional scrolls. They they refer to themselves at some point as warrior scrolls, so maybe it's a slightly different sort of thing. Yeah, don't know. But, I feel uh, like they weren't originally scrolls, but then Chris Claremont ran out of time and was like, "All right, I'll just make them scrolls." <laughs> Maybe, it's, yeah. I feel like he wouldn't have gone. Like he would have probably wanted to create like a whole new race of like Shi'ar or, or whatever to work That's, in his sort of space universe. And then you're, you're right, like whatever, they're scrolls. I don't care. It feels like we were leading up to something bigger because we had in the last issue the web with everybody like tied up to the web, so they need all of their bodies in order to make these sort of clone versions of them that have their thoughts and memories and whatever. And then they just turn out to be scrolls who can transform into people anyway. So I don't know. It was just an interesting, it was, it was a strange choice. Maybe Jim Lee's like, I'm actually pretty tired of drawing this whole space thing. So can we just, they're scrolls. Okay. I'm drawing them as scrolls. I want to get back to earth. And Chris is like, well, uh, oh, okay. I guess. <laughs> I feel like I'm being, pushed out of this book let's do a thing with magneto and omega red he's this guy that i created oh okay <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it looks like at the end of this page here that um uh uh scroll corsair is getting ready to crash the ship i guess um yeah we don't we just kind of cut to another scene so well he's like uh, uh blah 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 yeah we're we're all imposters uh, but that is a revelation you will carry to your graves. And we see the ship looking like it's maybe flying towards Earth or it the planet, rather. It doesn't really, I mean, other than his kind of threatening dialogue, it's not really much of a cliffhanger because I can't really tell what's going on. But right, right. Yeah, I mean, I guess the idea is they're they're going to get, well, we know that not, that's not actually going to happen. So Right. So meanwhile... Um, on a bunch of asteroids or whatever, Lila Cheney and Deathbird are there with big guns, and uh, they're facing off against this big web thing. They vamp in. Vamp. Vamp. Says the sound effects. Where the bloody blue blazes are we, and what the devil are we doing here? And Deathbird reveals that... Uh, that accursed, nagging voice inside my head that drove me to use you to summon the X-Men to Shi'ar and then abandon them to rush here. Why don't you ask that, that person? I don't know. <laughs> right. Uh, this is called the Mall, a ring of astro astro asteroidal rocks, literally floating islands about a gas planet with a breathable atmosphere. 
Why? I don't know. Something's drawing me here. <laughs> and then, uh, even though she's just explained, like, where they are, uh, uh, Lila Cheney's like, Deathbird, what is this place? Well, you know, what is this place specifically with the web and all the people that are clearly in front of us? They're standing directly in front of Charles Xavier, and nobody seems to notice them. Yeah, and So much so that when Professor Xavier walks into the room, they're not like, wait, you're here and there? <laughs> but he... And you're, oh my, I'm getting the vapors. So they don't seem to notice any of the people in the webs that are behind them. Because if they did, they would notice that most of the people that enter the room right now are, in fact, those same people. Even though it looks like Deathbird is four inches away from Professor X's head. Yeah, I don't I don't quite understand why we're doing that. But. And Professor X, like the drawing, it kind of looks like he's like, I'm, I'm right here. I'm, I'm literally <laughs> right here. Hey, guys. Uh, what's up? I mean, and we learn later that Professor X is the one that is tempting uh, Deathbird into these situations and kind of having her do these things. So right. you would think that he would be like, I'm right here. Hey, it's me. It's Charlie E.Y. <laughs> so that's when the Professor, Psylocke, Lilandra, and Gladiator walk in and somebody off panel, I don't go Lila Cheney, says, Professor Xavier? But Wolverine, Wolverine killed, you. killed you. Oh, this is the line. What is the X-Men's favorite phrase in such a circumstance? Ah, yes. I got better. I think that's not necessarily the X-Men's favorite phrase. I think it's Chris Claremont's favorite phrase. <laughs> well, you know, same. Chris Claremont, up until this point, is the X-Men. Right. Which, I gotta be honest, like, it's... I, I actually kind of like that phrase, because it's like, I don't have time for, like, a complicated story about like why i was sick and now i'm i'm better just i got better i'm fine don't worry about it it's like you got this it's an economical way of saving time yep absolutely and uh now we've got a uh jubilee and wolverine who have also entered the room and they're like eat hot plasma you witch winged witch i don't think she's winged anymore though didn't she get her wings ripped off well you know scroll jubilee doesn't know that oh sure Wolverine jumps in and pops his claws and uh, starts chopping away at uh, Dyson and Dyson at uh, Deathbird. Deathbird. Our once our guests are suitably restrained, we shall proceed with the final phase of my transformation. My gun's no match for Gladiator. Thinks Lila Cheney as Gladiator approaches her, and my armor sure no protection against him. What am I gonna do? And then Professor Xavier says, "Well, the uh, the webbed Professor Xavier thinks." to her presumably just get out of here come back later you another of course that explains everything sneaky old beggar my hat's off to you so i don't the professor doesn't know who lila cheney is does he sure he does does he, he dated, okay he dated a uh, cannonball for a while yeah but was that before or after he left earth i don't remember that yes okay <laughs> perfect <laughs> Because uh, she seems to know who he is, and she... everybody knows who Lila Cheney is. She's a world famous rock star. She's a universe famous rock star. She's a galaxy famous rock star. Sure, She's a famous rock star. Gotcha. And uh, she teleports away. She says, "Bye, all Lila's out of here." And I wish she would have been like Cheney out, <laughs> but she doesn't. Shanene out. <laughs> Wolverine's getting ready to do the the death. Uh, kill on Deathbird. She starts fighting Jubilee because she's like, 
let me finish her. And he's like, out of my way, brat. Just because the Terran tolerates such insolence does not mean I shall. Yeah. Thinking you're better than me just because you got to imprint the berserker. Live and learn, furball. As my fireworks fry you down to the bare bones. Will they really be talking like this? I mean, because I... underneath Wolverine is just another scrawl, not a furball. Well, oh, weird. yeah, I mean, you know, I'm fine with it. <laughs> and I mean, if they've got like a plan or whatever to, to do a thing, like, I don't know, why are they fighting against each other? Because these two, these are two hotheads. They're not, they're not, you know, majors or sergeants or upper, upper ranked officers in the, in whatever it is they're trying to do. They're, they're just a couple of hotheads they picked up who were part of the army. You know, they're one of the, they're with the soldiers. They're not very reliable. They just think all this stuff is cool. So Psylocke, Skrull, says, You're to mimic the X-Men's form and powers, not the worst elements of their personalities. Skrull Xavier goes up to Xavier and says, You're doing this, aren't you? Oh, there you go. There's your answer. It's Professor Xavier is making them fight each other. Yeah. Using your telepathy to gently goad my war scrolls. They're war scrolls, Adam. That's why they need this web. Oh, did I say warrior scrolls? Whatever. You said scroll warriors. You're completely wrong. I thought I said warrior scrolls, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, dispatching Lila Cheney to safety. Uh, I'm on to you, old man. I'm not going to kill you, though. And I guess that's probably because he needs him alive for whatever the full transformation is, which is maybe to take all of his power or something. It doesn't seem like they kill anybody because then that would mean that the Star Jammers would be dead. But they also, yeah, it's weird because this issue and last issue, they're like, we don't care what you do with the men. We just want the women. Yet they're keeping all of the men alive. Well, I think, you know, it's 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 an adaptable plan. Initially, they just wanted to it's, – it's not about men or women initially. It's about getting a certain set of people with a certain set of powers. We need Professor Xavier because he's, he's hooked up with Lilandra. We need the Starjammers because they can get us – because they're all hanging out together and we can get them to do cool stuff. But now that we've got a little bit more flexibility, we just want the women because they got awesome powers. And uh, as far as we can tell, Forge just makes stuff, so he's out. Are you sure Banshee they don't want... seems like he, he's always complaining about how he lost his powers, so he's out. Are you sure they don't want the women for like breeding stock? I feel like that's the implication. I don't. They're not breeding stock, though. Not yet. <laughs> I mean, I, I, anything's possible. That seems like a Chris Claremont thing. Yeah. That he would do. I feel like that's but, the uh, undertone. And they can't say that because that would be weird and, and, and certainly icky. But I, that's, I get that, that vibe from all of that dialogue around. We don't care about the men. Just keep the women. Uh, maybe. I don't know. Maybe they want to have um, little little scroll mutant babies to raise up a super powerful army, army of hybrids. Sure. But it's comics, right? So you could be like, well, we harvested the DNA from them, so destroy them all, and we'll just make our own. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The Star Jammer appears. Story point of, point of view, you just needed to make it seem like we were going to kill some people and leave some people alive, so there's a little bit of threat of danger there. Sure. The Star Jammer appears uh, through the proximity, and it uh, looks like it crashes into wherever they're at, the asteroidal island. And uh, one of the war scrolls kind of appears, but he's being pushed out by Gambit. And he's like, Bonjour, me braves. Remember us? 
uh, somebody says, it's the star jammer. It's jamming into our faces. <laughs> it's jamming into our universe. So that was where Cheney jaunted to. So did Cheney teleport the entire ship there or did they do like a hyperdrive jump or who cares? I'm going to say Whatever. she just did the whole ship. Okay. Why not? Sure. It's fine. I have I mean, no I idea. There's like a big vamp sound effect. Well, what does, what does Storm say? Does she say anything about this? No, I guess not. <laughs> so they they jump out. Uh, Gambit's doing some flying sidekicks. The imposter war scrolls are like, we're going to kill you. And they, they start fighting. Gambit's like the new uh, Nightcrawler. Kind of. Jumping around, doing acrobatics. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gladiator is able to repel Gambit, goes flying towards the web. Nobody still notices that, like, all the X-Men buddies are in that thing, but... He fires the whole deck of cards at Gladiator. Let's see how you handle the whole deck, he says. Uh, Psylocke punches Forge or grabs him by the neck or something and then uses her psychic knife, uh on his head and he's like oh my god that really hurts and even scroll psylocke has to say the focus to- totality of psylocke's mental powers right just in case you forgot or this is your oh, first okay. issue so this okay and now it, it, it's all connecting to me the scrolls don't have mutant powers they can shapeshift but they don't absorb all of their mutant powers so they need this web thing in order to also get their mutant powers Oh, so so that they, makes that makes sense. They got to keep them alive just so they can kind of like, yeah, redirect their powers or whatever. When, well, I don't know. I don't know why they keep them alive except for maybe you know just as like a hard drive sort of thing. Like sure. if they they lose somebody, like they just lost Professor X, they have a backup. Oh man, it's seeds of like the the new uh, current generation of the X Men. Kinda, yeah. Um, when the scrolls impersonate like the Avengers or Fantastic Four. Can't they just do that? No, they don't have their powers. Oh, okay. Um, except for the Super Scroll, who has all of the Fantastic Four's powers. Okay. For other reasons. Sure, sure. That's a whole other thing. But no, typically scrolls don't take on the abilities of whoever they transform into. So despite Forge being hurt by the focused totality of Psylocke's powers... He is able to come to his senses, grab a gun, and shoot Psylocke into Jubilee, uh, which then forces them all into the Nexus Amplifier. <laughs> You've disrupted my patterns, triggered a partial reversion to my base form. I cannot duplicate Psylocke anymore. So the next, yeah, the Nexus Amplifier, I guess, is the where the web goes. So yeah, so the scrolls can no longer. Well, he says, "I shall be forced to copy another." Yeah, so I don't know what that means. So he this this particular scroll lady, I guess, is not going to be able to replicate Psylocke ever Anymore. again. Right. She just has to she'll have to jump onto a different one. Yeah. Uh it's, it's a random plot point that goes nowhere. Pretty much, cuz I don't know that he ever actually does or if we if it does, I forgot about it. My own abilities may not be as flashy as some others, lady, but that doesn't mean I'm any easier to kill. Zark says forge yeah and so storm and wolverine are now fighting or actually wolverine surprises storm slashing her in the back which doesn't do any damage but i guess her costume's body armor so that's okay and how are they duplicating wolverine's claws 
that's a great question. Because <laughs> uh, yeah, they're they're not. Well, I mean, they, they they're metal. There's a little glinting. Uh, Maybe uh, he just has like a, a claw glove. Okay, sure. And so I mean, he's a shapeshifter, so he can replicate stuff like claws. I don't I don't know that they would be sharp though. Right. Right. They'd be kind of like flesh claws. Right. Um, Maybe they're flesh claws, but he put little like blades sleeves over the top of them. Sure. Let's go with that. <laughs> we never do see a snick, so maybe the claws are just always out. We get a schlack as he slices open Storm's back, though. I don't think he slashes it open. I think he slashes at it. I don't what? know if she dodges or what happens. She looks like she's in pain. She's in pain. He's got her uh, held by her the scruff of her nape. But look, if you look at like how she's drawn and like how her her butt at this point is like kicked straight out, if there was any blood, like it would just be pooling up right there, just based on this impossible pose that she's in. I think she, she's just uh, sore. She's I don't not, think. Yeah, she's not bleeding. Like, like we like you said earlier, the the outfit is armor, so it didn't manage to get through it because these aren't adamantium claws; they're just flesh. Blade sleeve claws. They're probably some sort of Ginsu knives or something. Yeah, we'll go with that. Um, and she's probably just a little bit hurt, you know, because that's that nobody likes to be Ginsu'd. And Wolverine's got those fleshy blade claws sticking out, and he's getting ready to kill her. He's like, I will kill you very slow. And he gets stabbed through the back by Gambit. Say to you, home, what I told the real Wolvie last issue. Bang, you dead. Wolverine whips around. He's still got the uh, the staff stuck in his back. He's like, you wish. And then they spring into action for uh, a less exciting battle than what we saw on the cover, which is very quickly interrupted by Banshee screaming at them. Guess again, boyo. Or we, you've forgotten. Uh, the X-Men are a team who look after their own. I, I just watched Trek, so I don't know why I'm doing this voice. <laughs> Uh, Professor Skrull X is like, your powers are physical, mine's psychic, I'm gonna knock you all out. Me mind! Yep, so they all come crashing down, um, the professor, the real professor, uh... So the real Psylocke is talking to the real professor in the web. Right, but they're gonna use, I think they're gonna use focused power from both of them to basically deal with the situation. Yeah, <laughs> I don't really know what happens. Like, all of our guys went down because of fake professor. Psylocke and the prof the real professor do something, uh, which knocks uh, Lilandra down. But actually, it looks like Deathbird punches her. So we get the Psylocke and the professor chatting yep. about how that they uh, about their their will is being sapped. Then we get a close up of. Uh, storm in pink so it's kind of confusing but it's storm and she mm -hmm. says i will not be beaten war scroll and then we get scroll professor who's also in pink which anytime it's in pink you think you're in the web but you're not uh i know i know i will not be stopped truly storm i have never encountered so indomitable a will save perhaps an xavier himself and then we get war or no it's lalandra lalandra comes up comes up behind uh Storm and is about to slice up Storm, but then Warbird, Deathbird, Deathbird, uh, grabs the thing and punches 
the Landra on the back of Grabs the neck, what I guess. Thing? Isn't she grabbing the sword? I don't know. She's got something in her hands, it looks like. I don't know. She punches she punches a Landra on the back and stops her effectively. I guess she doesn't grab the sword. I thought she was trying to stop the sword, but maybe not. And then uh, Professor Xavier from the web somehow sneaks up on fake Professor Xavier. I don't know how he got out, but well, I guess, Adam, I guess he's been he's he's been working this angle for a while. There's, so. there's a power signature like four panels before, and that's clearly where he was work. Yeah, I don't know. He's free. <laughs> yeah, I, I, mean, I got we, nothing. We cut, Doesn't we matter. Cut from, we cut from Cyclops saying it's the bloody machine is Not feeding Cyclops. Psylocke saying it's feeding the monsters the combined psi force of you, Professor, me, and Oracle, sapping our will so we can't resist. So evil Xavier is combining all of the tele powers of those three people right uh the real professor has cleared up everybody's heads everybody's fine now and as you said he is now free he taps the fake professor on the shoulder and punches him in the face you're usur- you've usurped my place and powers long enough and he's just like punching and punching and punching and finally he turns into a war scroll who might be dead. The professor may have beaten this scroll to death. <laughs> Lord, that felt wonderful. I hammered him mentally as well as physically. Gambling my fists would disorient him and keep him off balance while telepathically preventing his reversion to his far superior default form. Something I've been aching to do since my capture. Phew, now that that's taken care of. <laughs> so I... No idea how he got free. Because... From the last panel, he was being sapped, and now he's fine. He's fine, Adam. But, okay, he's fine. God. He, all, the, all of the scrolls disappear, so we don't ever find out if they're dead. Yep. Uh, somebody says, uh, oh, no, our prisoners. And I guess they disappear, because in the next panel, they're just gone. Yep. We don't actually see them disappear. So all of the X-Men are unhooked. Um, I'm guessing there's some Shi'ar technology that will help get all this circuitry off of them. Uh, but the professor's like, hey, I don't know most of you, um, but I'm the professor. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm all, the X-Men are, are mine. I own them all. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we get a little bit of like, so, so Deathbird technically is the empress of Shi'ar right now, which is what she's always wanted. Uh, but she's like, yeah, don't worry about it. I don't want this. So I'm just going to undo everything that I did while I was under duress. Uh, Lilandra, it's yours. I'm still your enemy. Uh, Deathbird out. Well, she says that being the emperor kind of sucked and she can't imagine a worse form of torture than giving it all of that back to Lalandra. Yeah, I can't think of a more fitting revenge, which what? That just feels like a cop out. <laughs> this thing I've wanted, I don't want it. And it would be sweet revenge if you just had it. This thing that I've wanted this whole time. By the way, I will be back at some point to get this. I think there's a hint of like, I am uh Looking at the situation, I'm surrounded by X-Men. I don't have any of my royal guards to help me out. I'm kind of at a loss of what to do. So I'm just going to give everything over right now yeah. and uh, kiss the professor on the way out and then disappear. I And I, I'm fine with that. I just – my – the way that I would like to have seen this play out is like I will rule the Shi'ar Empire, but I will not do it with the aid of an enemy. I will earn this on my own. So it's yours, but I'm coming for you. 
<laughs> and then she's out. That would be a little bit more realistic than be. But you're right. I, I mean, it could definitely be like a. Well, I I see what's going on here. So uh, yeah, you, it'd be better if you had it because of revenge and stuff. Uh, I don't want to die. Bye. But I don't know. It's it's hard to convey any emotion uh, when you're just reading words and looking at panels that don't really seem to reflect what's actually happening. There's also a reference to her having signed some sort of document that gave over control of the Empire to Lalandra. Right. Probably a couple issues ago when she was under the scroll. Right. So technically, I guess she isn't right now the Emperor. Lalandra isn't. Deathbird. No, Lalandra is because Deathbird signed this document that the scrolls had her sign. Hmm. Okay. Because the scrolls wanted Lalandra in power for some reason. Oh, okay. And they they were going to be like shadow uh, rulers. Sure. Uh, I don't know why they didn't want to just copy Lalandra. So Deathbird flies out and Banshee's like, look, we don't have any time. Um, we started this storyline like a whole a while ago and we've just <laughs> been ignoring it. Um, something's wrong with Moira McTaggart and it has been for literally 50 issues. Even before the Genotians came after us. Right. Like four, four years we've been working on this. Uh, I know it's comic, so it's only been like a month, but uh, something's wrong with Moira. This really, to me, felt like a, okay, we're done with this. We got to get back to the other thing. Chris Kellermont's got a limited m- amount of time to wrap up his storylines. Right. Uh, or maybe Jim Lee is like, I want to clear out all of these cobwebs. So let's just get to the Shadow King, right? So the professor's like, well, uh, all right, uh, let me read your mind, Storm. Oh, my God, it's the Shadow King. We got to get back to Earth. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, Lalandra, I got to take care of this. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I get it. That's cool. And so they vamp away. Meanwhile, in Salem Center, New York, remember Stevie Hunter? I do. Well, here she is. She gets, like, thrown to the ground and she's like, Colossus? And Colossus is there uh, under the power of the Shadow King. Yeah, he's in full Colossus mode, which we haven't seen in a while. Mm -hmm. He's, uh... No, I'm sure this is how he'll get his memory back. Absolutely. Not entirely sure why he's going to kill Stevie Hunter, but he says, oh, I guess he he thinks that Stevie is the key to getting the X-Men. You have a purpose in that magnificent enterprise, Mm -hmm. my dear. Uh, You are the human being. You hold the keys that will pass me safely through the school's security systems. All right, so it's a convenience thing. You will give them to me or you will die at Colossus's hand. Okay. Yeah. Stevie should be like, I haven't been to that mansion for like eight years. They changed the locks. Plus it's been blowed up. Yeah. The the mansion like barely exists. Have you not been there? (laughs) Yeah. Somebody is just like, how do we make, how do we connect all of this? Because all of the X-Men and their friends are in space. You know what would have been better? All that's left of the mansion just underground? Well, the danger room and a bunch of like offices and whatnot. But yeah. uh, Whatever the... X, X-Force or new, new Mutants were using? I don't remember how all of this plays out, but I think it would have been neater if Coloss, if this, if, if um, Stevie Hunter was actually Kitty Pride here. Oh, yeah. Because then there'd be a lot more weight with Colossus going after Kitty. Kitty would clearly still have security access or, or whatever is needed to get into the mansion. But Jeremy, Kitty's in England. I know. I know. Just saying. <laughs> would have been better, but... It's good to see Stevie Hunter. Yeah. Haven't seen her in a while. 
And that's uh that's X Men number two seventy six. Sure is. Wow. Wow. Just wow. wow. Just just wow. I feel like uh Marvel Unlimited did something and it makes it much more difficult to get out of a comic. <laughs> so I got it. I yeah, but it's you gotta you gotta click, then click the X, then I don't know. You, I I have little shortcuts to go around them that are probably also long cuts, but I I have a quick way to get around it because we're gonna cover uh, what we forgot, uh, or really I I forgot to add it to the list of things we read. Uh, Spider Man number ten perceptions part three of five, uh, which the cover states Wolverine, Wendigo. He wouldn't go get an exclamation mark. And the webhead, who also gets an exclamation mark. Why doesn't Wolverine get a web uh, exclamation mark? <laughs> you know what? Uh, webhead, has, webhead has a trademark next to it. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a couple of... Uh, so we'll just start off and say almost nothing happens in this issue. It's issue. It's part three of five, as you mentioned. So it's the very middle of whatever the story is, uh, and I feel like uh, Todd McFarlane, for a number of reasons, was like, I don't have time to do this issue, and I don't really know what I want to have happen in this issue. And it feels it, like I'm going to do a five parter, and then he got two issues in, and he's like, uh, <laughs> I got I to stretch this thing out. I got three more issues. Why did I choose a five parter? So. Part of the reason that I say this is because just looking at the cover, there's a ton of inked shadows, which means like he barely drew anything and just said, yeah, just it's all shadows. It's it's moody. It's deep. You're only going to be able to see Wendigo's hand in his head. Everything else is in shadows. A little bit of his of Spider-Man's legs and arms. Everything else is in shadows. And then Wolverine, you're just going to be able to see like the top and bottom of him. Everything else is in shadows. And as I was going through this issue, I was like, man, there are a lot, a lot of panels that are like super detailed, which is great for, you know, Todd McFarlane type stuff. But there's a lot more panels that are just like outlines and heavy, heavy shadowing. There's even, like there's even a page in here where it's just like one panel with like these really sparse newspaper headlines. I'm like, well, this is a waste <laughs> of a page. I feel like his quota is to make sure that there's one awesome Spider-Man pose in every issue. And that's – he kind of does the whole thing around that. Where am I going to put the awesome Spider-Man pose? So there's this uh, – just kind of skipping in. There's this uh, uh, full or two-page spread, which I believe if I remember correctly, like you had to turn the book 90 degrees to actually – it's like basically like a poster um, at that point uh, of all of these hunters and when to go in the background – and I think it's supposed to be like a collage of events that are happening, but it's it just kind of looks like there's a whole bunch of hunters doing different things with Wendigo like directly behind them. It's it's weird. <laughs> I don't know if you 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 follow what I'm saying, but it just looks like Wendigo is immediately behind all of these hunters. But if you read all the narration, it's like this is all happening and it's crazy and well, hunters are running away. What I see is Wendigo destroying one of the hunters and the rest of the hunters running away. I don't know if that's what it's supposed to be. There's like one hunter that looks like he's on the ground, but maybe also doing like a front kick. I don't know if Wendigo is above him, below him, behind him. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's, it's really weird. I think it's supposed to be a collage. 
but I could be wrong. I'm willing to accept that I'm probably wrong in that that statement because I, I just can't tell. <laughs> the The gist is that Wolverine has to run in and save the uh, hunters before the one that they all abandoned. Uh, they they leave, they leave one of the hunters behind. Hey, right. where's Eddie? Did that chicken get a head start already? He better not have taken the wagon. Wendigo's about to kill him. Wolverine springs into action. I don't like how Wolverine is drawn in most of this issue, but he's got very large kind of remember the uh, Havoc and Wolverine meltdown. painted thing meltdown where his his yeah Batman Hair. head was sort of uh, super wing tipped. Yeah, they do I, that here. I don't I don't know that I mind that so much because that's more just like. It's inconsistent, but I it's kind of cool. That that um, I don't mind. It's just like how he's drawn in this, like, as he's springing towards us in the audience. Like, he just looks like a huge blobby man. The perspective is all, it's all weird. There's not a lot of, no, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. There's, yeah. there's often not a lot of detail. Um, I think he's supposed to be just kind of this menacing figure that right. creeps around. And so he ends up saving the hunter. The hunter runs away. And then we get sort of our first, like, here's a silhouette of Wolverine because I'm really running out of time here. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. And I can spend seven minutes on this page rather than, you know, a full 20 minutes or whatever. Uh, but then he and Wendigo get into a fight. But then we cut away to Peter Parker and um, I don't know who this the other guy is. Melvin, uh, who's commenting on uh, Peter's felix boxers and peter says the weirdest thing like well i'll see if i can find you a clean pair <laughs> i've never shared underwear with somebody so that's just kind of a weird thing to me yeah this is very weird uh, and then wendigo the fight between wendigo it's just kind of intercut between all of this is very um uh very big but like not a lot of detail on these pages like a lot of just like hash marks and lines indicating motion um and i know that this would have been more time consuming but I think I would have liked to have seen this fight in like nine little boxes of just like things happening. Uh, but it would have taken a lot more time than just these two panels of of no faces, really. Yeah, well, Wolverine gets thrown against the wall and then he gets pounded to the ground by yeah. Wendigo. But Wendigo, there's really not much detail in Wendigo other than his hair because like the front of him is just like all this motion lines and stuff. I think there's a combination of him trying new things, but also... Yeah, this, this this issue seems like he's running out of steam. And then the next page, this is the one where you've got like a whole crowd of like, what are we going to do? We got we to gotta get him, which is the top panel. And I guess he's like, well, I don't want to draw anything else here. So here's the <laughs> Los Angeles Post, the Chicago Globe, the Daily Bugle in huge. Like, you want to do this? Fine. Make it like one strip of these three articles and then another panel below it with some more information. But it's... Three very large, unnecessary uh, newspaper clippings that fill up two-thirds of the page. Yeah, well, you know, it shouldn't <laughs> have been a five-parter. <laughs> Wolverine ultimately rips off all of his clothes because he's just getting, out of, I don't know, shredded because of uh, the fight with Wendigo here. Wendigo ultimately is like, eh, this isn't my cup of tea, and he takes off. Wolverine goes into berserker mode for some reason, and I think because... You know, everybody likes to write Wolverine going into berserker mode, but then nothing happens. And like you said, Wendigo just walks away. Well, I think actually, yeah, uh, um, I think he screams 
Yeah. See I drag how- my scream out for 30 seconds. Then I just stare at Wendy. He won't look at me. Never had a showdown before. Don't think he likes it. Not my problem. But I don't know. This isn't how Wolverine's berserker mode goes. No, he'd Wolverine start doesn't slashing let and fighting. somebody go away when he's in berserker mode. Right. That's right. fine. Exactly. Um, this would have been more interesting, I think, if if Wolverine was something like, um, yeah, I know a thing or two about animals, and I'm small, Wendigo's big, but you know, big creatures respect dominance or whatnot. And then he lets out his giant scream of like, I'm making myself as big as I can. Sort of like, you know, if you're ever confronted by a, what is it, a black bear, you're supposed to make yourself all puffy and big and scream at him. And then the bear will be like, huh, I don't want to deal with this. And I think that's 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 what like, he's going for here. That's what just, he's going for. It's just not really clear because of what you just said. Like he goes into berserker mode. We know that berserker mode is like I'm not giving up until like whatever I'm fighting is dead or I can calm myself down. Yeah. So he leaves. Wolverine finds uh, Spider-Man who is in his Peter Parker togs and he's like, "Hey, Spidey, need your help. Meet me at this place. Bye." What did you say? You Ooh. heard me, boy. <laughs> And then this is the next page where Spider-Man gets into a Spider-Man outfit uh, in these two very narrow strips, which I'm sure were pretty easy to draw. And then the Spider-Man himself going up this building is just mostly silhouetted. So again, it's like, I'm going to draw the outline, some hash marks, Spider-Man's classic uh, mask, and then uh, everything else is just going to be I this as him trying something different. I, I think it's partially supposed to be like, I want this issue to be dark and moody, but I'm also running out of steam, so I'm going to do it a lot. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess he just doesn't feel like drawing all the details of Spider-Man. I, it doesn't seem like that saves a ton of time, but I guess maybe it, it does. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. And then we get three pages of Spidey going through the Canadian uh, forest, and we get a couple of panels of Spidey doing his thing. And I feel like the inking changes somewhere mid-issue because um, it doesn't it doesn't have that crispness that usually. Yeah. Uh, okay, let's see. Okay, Todd and friends are the inkers for this. Okay. So at some point, Todd was like, "All right, guys." I need, I need help. help. Yeah. I'm running out of time. I'm behind schedule. Got to get this book out. Yeah. I mean, these couple of pages here are like, oh man, somebody knows I'm Peter Parker, but I'm in Canada. The only people that know I'm here. Oh, this is a problem. I got to figure out what this is. And so then he, he drops down and, and is like, uh, never fear. Spidey's here in his underwear because Todd McFarlane apparently doesn't know how to write comedy. <laughs> But Wolverine's like, here I am uh, making a lot of noise. Um, full page of, of Wolverine in his yellow outfit. And, and this feels like Todd McFarlane inked to this one because he's like, yeah, this is my Wolverine pose. So I'm going I'm gonna I'm gonna to yeah. take control of this one. And uh, Wolverine's justification for wearing the yellow costume is because the first time he fought Wendigo, he was in his yellow outfit. So uh, this might spark a memory, maybe. Yeah, I mean, he also destroyed his costume like 20 minutes earlier, so I don't know, does he just carry around a spare yellow just in case? Sure, and this is probably where Larry Hama gets the idea for like, yeah, I like this costume, I'm going to bring this back in the Wolverine comic. Well, no, because it's it's actually Jim Lee who brings it back first in in X-Men. Okay. And uh, there's a funny detail about that in the Marvel 
the book that we always reference by Sean Howe, uh, the Marvel book. Yeah. Where Jim Lee gets uh, John Byrne on board to write the scripts for his X-Men. And he says to John Byrne, hey, I got a great way to get Wolverine into his old costume and out of that cheesy new costume that he doesn't realize that John Byrne created. <laughs> well, John Byrne wanted to put him in that one Shi'ar guy's outfit. Was that John Byrne or was I that before that? Was John that? Byrne. Oh, you think it was, uh, I think that was Dave uh, Cockrum? I think that was Dave Cockrum. Maybe. And that ends up being Sabretooth's costume, weirdly enough. Yeah. Well, you could be right. I don't remember. There's a lot of uh, Wolverine in here being like, I don't care about the humans. Just too many animals are being killed. I don't like it when all these animals are being killed. We really need to stop all these people from killing all these animals. So we're just drilling it into our... Like, I, having him do it once of, like, animals are needlessly being killed. That's why I'm here. I think it's fine. But he says it like five or six times throughout this issue. Well, this is, you know, all the hallmarks of a, of a writer who's not very good at his craft yet. Right. I don't I don't know if he ever does become good at his craft. I did not read. A, I, I think I read the first 10 issues of Spawn and then I was like, out. <laughs> this next page is sort of half half detailed. Um, but then you've got like that bottom third of the page where it's basically Spider-Man and Wolverine completely in silhouette. So that took six minutes to draw. And we got a close-up of Wolverine, which I, I, I don't like either of these detailed photo pictures of, of Wolverine. Well, the, and the one, his arms are weird and his body's weird. And the, 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 this one at least like looks like a real face, I guess. Are you talking about like the what, establishing the full page? Because uh, I don't mind that. I think maybe his arms are definitely too big there, but... As far as like a Jim Lee, like I'm going to draw Wolverine, I, I think it's pretty good. But, I don't think it's very good. But the next two where you've got sort of Wolverine in profile talking to Spider-Man, I, I don't like what's happening there. And then the big close-up of is like, he's got like a bent cigarette, which as a former smoker doesn't make sense. <laughs> well, that's a Todd McFarlane thing. He, um, he has bent cigarettes all over the place. It doesn't make any sense though. Um, and then his face is like really like, Play-Doh-y, droopy, I don't know what to say, but lots, I don't, of, lots of lines. I don't mind this as much as the full. Okay. It, I mean, you know, I don't think this is a good drawing, but it does look like a, it looks the perspectives are correct. Like, it looks like somebody's head. I think the thing I always, when I was a kid, liked about Todd McFarlane is even as sort of maybe silly as this picture looks like, I feel like he probably spent a good few hours on this drawing just probably. with, you know, with, with all the lines and, and definitely if he inked this as well, like creating all of the, the definition uh, and stuff. But yeah, when you step back, you're like, well, that's not really what Wolverine looks like. And then it's the same sort of deal here. Uh, Todd McFarlane likes to do this a lot where you've got like on the left, you've got some smaller panels of things happening and then square in the middle, you've got this giant headshot of Wolverine on the next page. You've got the same thing, a giant headshot of Spider-Man who has no nose, by the way. It's a time saver. And then uh, uh, a kind of clunky picture of uh, Wendigo sneering and then the reporter, Anna Brooks, who she looks fine. But it's, it's, to me, it's, it's not cinematic, and it's just kind of like it's kind of a waste of pages, in my opinion. I think I, he's trying new things. Yeah, I, I don't mind this because. 
But I think I all of these I don't, new... think it, I don't think it works, but I think he is just kind of playing around with the medium and trying to do a little bit of different things. But right. sometimes that's going to work. Sometimes it's not. I feel like they're all time savers of like, if I just draw one yeah, giant picture. I think in this case, they are definitely time savers. <laughs> but it also feels like he's trying different things. So, yeah, they, they continue their conversation and they're like, hey, uh, partners partners and then we get another full page spread of the two of them heading out to go catch a murderer the gist of which is that wolverine has done some detective work and determined that windigo is was nowhere near the bodies and that there's a, a murderer on the loose that isn't windigo and windigo is just taking the blame for something that they need to find the person who actually did now on this last page i generally like how uh todd mcfarlane draws spider-man and this- i don't even mind in this like on the surface where where his legs are basically above his head as he's leaping towards us it's Um, cool it's cool but then as you start trying to figure out like well wait a minute like where are his hips and where are his thighs and how do they connect (laughs) it doesn't you're right it absolutely doesn't matter but from a, a physical perspective like this is an impossible pose absolutely um but I think that's where Todd McFarlane excels of like, yeah, it's impossible, but it's awesome, right? But it looks cool. <laughs> and Wolverine looks okay. He's spring, I think into action. he started this issue with this page. Oh, probably. Because it, it feels the most concrete of any page that we've gone through. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's Spider-Man number 10. In fact, he, he had 20 days to do this issue, and he took like... 15 of those days to do this page and then he was like oh man i got i got 21 more pages to go i don't remember my friends i don't remember specifically what they used to do for delayed books back in the day but i feel like if anybody had delayed books it probably would have been todd mcfarlane and I, i don't know if that was just something you couldn't do wouldn't do um, and I suppose I I could... think they had a structure built so that that if you were behind, somebody fills in for you, oh, which sure. is probably where the friends comes in. Sure, but yeah, I, I don't know. I would imagine as a as a kid, I probably wouldn't have even noticed if a book was late because I wasn't. Yeah, wasn't until I became a uh, teenager slash adult that I started noticing that you know things things just when as a kid things just came out when they came out. Right, right. And I didn't really think about. Oh, it's monthly. Right. You go in every month and you pick up your books. But if something isn't there, you don't really think like, oh, man, where's my copy of Spider-Man number 10? Right. You just you just get the next time around. Or maybe there'd be yeah. 10 and 11 would be in the bag or whatever. Yeah. And you'd be like, oh, okay. It's a two for this month, whatever. Absolutely. None of that stuff mattered uh, when we were kids. But I guess it's matters now, maybe. I, don't oh, know. I think it matters now because when Image started having all their books be late all the time, it just became like a trend. Oh, sure. And probably, then, so I think people were like, oh, you know, late books is a thing now. And the distributors Plus, and as, the – yeah. As as art gets more and more complex, I think it becomes a more prevalent thing. Yeah. Late, late art. And it probably screws up like all the distributors, probably screws up all the comic shops or like yeah. – you, you got to come in this month because all these awesome books. Oh, yeah. Well, 25% of them didn't come in. So you got to come back next week. And then the consumers are like, I don't got time for this. <laughs> so. Yep. Yep. Well, well, there you go. That's that's the stuff. That's Spider-Man number 10. And that's Danger Room number 370 something. 
338. Oh, we're not in the 70s yet? No. Okay. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> we did get some some communique from, uh, from, from, from people out there in the internet land. Brendan Cool on the website, he says, uh, Hey guys, as far as I know, the official look at Dr. Claw's face comes from the short toy line for Inspector Gadget. I will agree with that because the only reference to Dr. Claw's face that I found was from the toy line. Um, so, yeah, that's, I agree. That's terrible. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't even feel like this style. That, like I'm looking at the picture. He sent along a link of the yeah, picture. And yeah. this, this face doesn't fit in with the style of the show. And I guess it's because it's a toy, but the cat looks correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, I mean, know. you know, you know how it goes with any of these things. Like, how are you going to do Cobra Commander's face reveal and have everybody be like, oh, my God, without everybody being like, yeah, well, that's kind of a letdown. <laughs> or Dr. Claw or whoever else's face. Uh, we never got to see it. I'll be honest. The, the, the one face reveal where I was like, okay, I buy this was Destro's in uh, in the G.I. Joe comic. Where Cobra Commander and Destro both reveal their faces? Nope, that not that issue because they don't actually reveal their faces. They put a bunch of makeup and like right. like hair on their face. No, there's one issue uh, where I think he's in Iron Grenadier territory and uh, he's with the Baroness and, and maybe they've had like a little bit of a spat and so he's like, "Trust me," and he pulls off his his mask and and Baroness is like, "Oh, are you really going to do this?" And he's like, "Yes," and. He reveals his face. You get a big spread of it. I was like, okay. It was nothing. He's just a guy. He's just a guy, right? It's not like scarred or ugly. He's just like a, you know, a 50-year-old man who was very smart. <laughs> and then they, they kiss. It's the same issue that Zartan uh, kills Serpentor with an arrow. Oh, okay. Do you remember that issue? I do. Yeah. It was the end of the Civil War. Yeah. The, uh, the Cobra Island Civil War. Uh, Donut at Donut Sans Gender uh, says, At Danger Room, go way back in episode number 13. The notes don't credit the song. We never actually credited any songs, which is... That's true. Good thing we're not trying to sell ad revenue. Because I think I think initially we did uh, not do... And I went back through and added notes for oh. a bunch of the songs that I could uh, identify. This one, of course, I couldn't. It says, What's the song? I can't find it anywhere by searching the lyrics. Uh, and I'll tell you a little bit, I'll pull the curtain back behind, uh, the, my process anyways, because Adam and I sort of edit these, um, and back in the day when we were doing songs, we'd individually just pick whatever song for whatever episode we were editing. Uh, mm -hmm. my process was to be like, well, what's this issue about? Sometimes they were super easy, um, where you just be like, oh, they said this phrase, so that's the song that I'm going to use. Others, you'd yep. have to be like, geez, I don't know, the juggernauts in this, I know, I'm the juggernaut or whatever that meme was for a while. It's a thing. Is there a song that goes with that? And so I just Googled those things, came up with that song, which I expect was probably some regional hip hop band from somewhere in the United States that happened to have their video on YouTube. And I was like, oh, I'll just use this song. Um, I'm going to do my best to try to find it because I think there's been a couple of other requests for like, what is this? Um, I have the original source material somewhere. Um, I just got to dig it up. So that's a long way of saying, I don't know. But if you use Shazam, which we tried just before this episode, you will find a very similar uh, sounding track with completely different lyrics, probably not by the same person. 
Um, so if, if you need your fix, <laughs> that probably won't do it. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, so if you've got uh, questions, comments, or anything to hit us up about, feel free to do so by visiting us at xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash danger room podcast, twitter us at danger room go, email us danger room at xmenpodcast.com, which is probably the best place to get a hold of us, but we try to check the other sources. Go out to iTunes, which honestly, I don't think I've checked iTunes comments in a long time. I don't know if you have, Adam. No, it's the thing that we do. Like, it'd be nice if they gave us updates, but. Yeah. And especially like multi-regional because iTunes doesn't display their comments in one. You have to go through uh, hoops in order to get comments from all other regions. Yeah. And uh, the uh, at least the U.S. iTunes uh, ratings and comments, I'm actually pretty happy with the numbers that I've seen for, you know, two, two nobodies to, to do a podcast and put it out on iTunes to have more than like two people saying this is okay. <laughs> uh, and there's, there's actually a few hundred. So it's, it's, it's very encouraging. But yeah, uh, trying to dice out those comments and stuff, which we used to do, uh, it's, it's very challenging. But anyways, yeah, go out there, get your, your iTunes, leave us ratings and likes and all that sort of stuff. And you can go out to patreon.com forward slash danger room where we cover the latest in what's happening in the world of the X-Men as well as our hot takes on pop culture, which generally just revolve around Star Wars, Star Trek, Transformers, and G.I. Joe, and a little bit of He-Man. Sometimes Elf. (laughs) Sometimes Elf. We should really... uh, should really expand our pop culture horizons. But those topics seem to have endless things to, to, to converse about, I'll be honest. Certainly for uh, mid-40s uh, white males. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, there you go. Theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfield. And um, Adam, you got anything else? I do not. Nor do I. So, All right. Until next time, my name's Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the danger room is closed.